Welcome to the Naked Truth. Peace to you. We are in the book of Deuteronomy, fifth book in the Bible, and we're two-thirds of the way just about through that book, and we're up to the chapter 20. If you want to read along with me, let's begin with verse 1. When you go out to battle against your enemies and see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them, for the Lord your God is with you. Who brought you up from the land of Egypt. So this is presumably Moses talking to the congregation. Um, Moses is the same Ten Commandments Moses and the congregation is the children of Israel who have been liberated from enslavement in Africa, traveled from Egypt to now what are the doors, the gates of the promised land. Canaan as it's known back then, Palestine, Israel as it's known now in modern times. And he's giving them basically more marching orders as to how they should behave once they cross over into that land and now it's moved on into the official orders marching orders officially for the people since they've now been um, identified as an army not just a a, a group or congregation but an army to uh, move forward with the religion and the wars they're about to face in massacring and colonizing the area where they're going to verse 2 so it shall be when you're on the verge of battle that the priest shall approach and speak to the people. So Moses is saying when they're getting ready to go out to war, and that's what this whole chapter is about, war marching orders basically. He's saying how the religion will address the the army as they proceed. Verse 3, and he shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are on the verge of battle with your enemies. Do not let your heart faint, do not be afraid, and do not tremble. Or be terrified because of them. So he's giving them encouragement um, for the battles that they're about to face. And um, I don't know, it, it doesn't really give much rebuttal from what the people would be saying. But I mean, if I were in the congregation, I'm, I don't, it's hard to imagine being in the congregation way back then. But I would imagine people in the congregation must have been wondering, well, why doesn't the Lord just strike the people and get them out of the way for us? Why doesn't the Lord just open up the ground and swallow them up for us? Why doesn't the Lord just send fire from heaven and burn them up for us? Why was why must the people put their lives on the line for a holy war when they are told again and again that the Lord is on their side to fight the battles for them? The battle is the Lord's according to the Old Testament. So why is it the people have to shed blood and fight it? Verse 4, for the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. Again, so if the Lord's doing the fighting, what's the need for the army? Verse 5, then the officers shall speak to the people saying, what man is there who has built a new house and has not dedicated it? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man de dedicate it. So now people are being given exemptions from the war because basically they've been drafted into the army to go to the wars that the religion decides to fight with the different people who are the inhabitants of the land they're going in to colonize so now they're giving the people an out if you if you're a property owner let's not read over that that's what it's saying if you're a property owner you can be exempt from the war if you brought a new piece of ground so who wouldn't run out immediately and go and buy them something whatever they can so that they don't have to go out to the war unless they're they're just bloodthirsty because that's why a lot of people join the military services 
most in America because they're impoverished and need some sort of opportunity to get out of the poverty. But there is a percentage, a portion of them that join because they want to go kill people. So they join the military, they join the services, they join any band of uh, people, bloodthirsty people they can, whether it's a street gang or a militia, so that they can have the whatever they call feel as a thrill of killing people so um it wouldn't eliminate everyone but if you're a new landowner you can get out of going to the war sound familiar verse six also what man is there who has planted a vineyard and has not eaten of it let him go and return to his house lest he die in the battle and another man eat of it so if you're if you uh bought some property you can get out of the war if you planted a vineyard you can get out of the war um, exemptions to going into the draft. In modern times, more modern times, you can get out of it if you're rich and have bone spurs, for instance. You don't have to go out to those wars. You can escape the draft. Verse 7, And what man is there who is betrothed to a woman and has not married her? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man marry her. So that seems like the easiest out there or at least the quickest, just find a spouse or find someone you can marry. And since the women didn't have all that much choice back then, the men really could, if they wanted to, just pick someone, marry them, and call it a day, and also escape having to be drafted into the war. Verse 8, The officers shall speak further to the people and say, What man is there who is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go and return to his house, lest the heart of his brethren faint like his heart. So, um, another exemption to the draft of being sent to the war would be if you're, uh, if you're not, um, if you're faint, if you're scared, plain and simple, if you're scared, you don't have to go either because they don't want that fear to be contagious among the rest of the soldiers who are going, uh, to war. So if you are faint-hearted, if you're fearful, if you're a coward, if you're scared, you can stay home also. You can avoid the draft. And so it shall, let's see, hit the wrong button there. Sorry. Uh, there we go. And so it shall be, when the officers have finished speaking to the people, that they shall make captains of the armies to lead the people. So once the people, once the people who don't want to go or are able to be exempt from the war are, are, are eliminated from the, the army, then, um, now they're to the next step what do you do when speaking to them and you make the captains of those armies so uh, assign ranks basically verse 10 when you go near a city to fight against it then proclaim an offer of peace to it so this sounds kind of i don't know fairy tale-ish what i can't imagine i can't i'm not a history buff but i can't think of any time where um where um wars have been carried out like that especially in modern american history where first you go and pronounce to them um something like that i guess an equivalent would be if you try to make some sort of peace treaty or some sort of agreement with them with the area you're going to before you go to war but again i can't recall any such thing like that happening in any time but especially in modern times but it's how he's uh, most. It's how they are to approach war. So um, they're there to go and first try and have a peace treaty with the people that they're going to go to war with. 
Verse 11, and it shall be that if they accept your offer of peace and open to you, then all the people who are found in it shall be placed under tribute to you and serve you. So um, if you go to a place and want to go to war with it, first give them the option to make peace and become your vassals, your servants, your subjects to you um, if they choose that way. So there are some people uh, as a people who aren't uh, aren't warring people. If you think back in, and again, I'm not perfect with history, but I remember at least in one of the world wars, France sort of took a neutral route. So when I think it was the Germans who attacked them, they sort of just rolled out the red carpet and let them enter the area, enter the country rather than fight with them. And um, I think Switzerland also remained neutral. Again, I'm not perfect with history, but there are places like that that don't want to fight. So they would rather just make peace with you and uh, rather than have you go there and ravage their place and do them any kind of way. Which you may, they may still do you any kind of way, but you, they just don't put up any resistance to it. Almost like when a, a dog is, or usually a dog is being abused, it may just roll over on its back and just give up and let the other dog attack it or the person beat it and just um, instantly surrender because they know they don't have a chance. So there are people that are exact same way and even countries that are the exact same way. So Moses is telling them if you um, run in, if they run into a country, a nation of people that are like that, then accept that as the terms of peace and make them their um, subjects. Verse 12, now if the city will not make peace with you, but makes war against you, then you shall besiege it. So uh, if the place isn't willing to do a peace treaty and let them um, uh, and have that agreement with the congregation, then in that case, um, Moses is telling them, then what they do is basically attack the city. When it says besiege, you know, surround it, close it in and conquer it. Verse 13, and when the Lord your God delivers it into your hands, you shall strike every male in it with the edge of the sword. So when it says striking them with the edge of the sword, it's not talking about, um, uh, it's talking about killing them. It's talking about a massacre. It's saying if they won't make peace with you, when you first go there to make war with it, then first besiege it, then kill all the men in the city. Does that sound like the same Lord? It's supposedly the same Lord that says thou shalt not kill and thou shalt not steal. Yet they're being told to go to a, a place that has no beef with them make war with them to take their property, their land, um, give them an offer of peace, and if they won't accept that offer of peace, uh, if they will accept the offer of peace, make them your servants, and if they won't, then kill them. That's the same Lord giving the orders to the people that said, thou shalt not kill. That's how it reads, so let's keep reading. Verse 14, but the women, the little ones, the livestock, and all that is in the city all its spoil you shall plunder for yourself and you shall eat the enemy's plunder which excuse me the lord your god gives you so they're being given the permission to um massacre and loot the places that they're going to go in and colonize if they won't submit themselves to their dominance verse 15 thus you shall do to all the cities which are very far from you which are not of the cities of these nations. So um, I'm not sure I quite understand that. Thus you shall do it all to all the cities which are very far from you, which are not of the cities of these nations. So 
uh, I don't quite understand that. I guess it's saying do that with the ones, the cities that are close by and the cities that are far off. As far as announcing peace to them, a peace treaty, and then seeing if they'll accept it. I don't quite understand verse 15. Verse 16, but of the cities of these peoples which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance, you shall let nothing that breathes remain alive. Okay, so I guess this is what he's saying. So he's saying the there's they're using the manifest destiny explanation or rationale for um stealing the land and massacring the people. So what's the difference between verse 15 and 16 is it seems to be Moses is saying of those lands that they've gone in and colonized, uh, don't let anyone live, go in and kill all the people there. But if cities that are further away that aren't a part of the colonized manifest destiny lands that are being conquered and stolen, taken by the people, um, the further off cities handle them a different way. Um, as far as uh, give them the chance to live as, as the women, the children and whatnot. But of the cities that they've gone in, say like the cities of Canaan, the ones east, I'm sorry, west of the Jordan River, that area, um, don't give them that opportunity. Wipe them out, um, man, woman and child. And again, that sort of flies in the face of thou shalt not kill, but it's what the people are being commanded to do. Verse 17, but you shall utterly destroy them, the Hittite and the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite, just as the Lord your God has commanded you. So um, they've been given the command, thou shalt not kill. And now they're being given the command to go in and kill and uh, kill everything that breathes, everything that moves, man, woman, and child. And those different ites that we just went through the jebusites and so forth are the different people who already live there in that land that they're going in to colonize so it's not like they found empty plots of land and they've decided okay we're just going to homestead here and take those no they found places where other people are already living and already uh existing and have a society set up and they're going in there instead and taking over their land Whereas, why not just go to an empty land? It's mo a lot of wilderness. They've passed through 40 years of wilderness. Um, why not just go set up uh, land, a uh, city in one of those places since they're wide open and unoccupied? Wouldn't that be more fair? And then uh, let the Lord prosper you from there rather than go in and massacre people who are already there and take what's theirs. But it's how it reads. Um, verse 18, lest they teach you to do according to all their abominations which they've done for their gods, and you sin against the Lord your God. So Lord here is still being translated from the word Jehovah, um, or name Jehovah. So that's who the people are worshiping at this point in the narrative. And being told that to keep from offending the deity that they're worshiping make sure they kill all the people in the areas they're going to so that they don't adopt any of their religion verse 19 when you besiege a city for a long time while making war against it to take it you shall not destroy its trees by wielding an axe against them if you can eat of them do not cut them down to use in the siege for the tree of the field is man's food well look at there now we're finally reflecting back to uh, what it said originally that every green herb is what people are supposed to be eating as food the vegetarian diet laid out as we'd call it in modern times vegetarian 
laid out in the at the very beginning of the book, at the very beginning of Genesis chapter one, that that's what people are supposed to be eating, food, every green herb for food, meaning vegetarian diet. And this is the first, and we've seen the menu change again and again and again as far as what you can eat and what you can't eat, what you can't touch and what you can't touch. And now here, finally, we get to see it being affirmed that it's the trees of the field that are man's food. So then what is all of that other stuff about those other food laws? It just is not consistent and doesn't seem like uh, Lord God Almighty would be so inconsistent. And yet, it's how it reads. So let's keep reading. And look at how there's respect for the trees, not for the human lives that are going to be mowed down and uh, massacred, but... There is a respect for the trees. Don't cut down the trees if you don't have to. And it's saying, um, use the trees that don't have fruit, say like an oak tree or something like that. A cedar, you can use those for the siege, for the war. But if it's an apple tree, a peach tree, a pear tree, uh, don't use those because those have food in them. Um, seems like there's more respect for the tree's life than for human life. And it's because the tree's life help sustain human life it just doesn't seem consistent at all to me but it is how it reads verse 20 only the trees which you know are not trees for food you may destroy and cut down to build siege works against the city that makes war with you until it is subdued so is the city really making war with them or are they making war with the city they've gone there looking for trouble not the other way around yet it's it's flip scripting script flipping to make it seem like um those people just came out against them for no reason no they're at war with you because you've come to their gates looking for war demanding they submit to you and if they don't submit to you then it's you who are engaging in the war not the people um and yet it's how it reads the people are i guess they're the way of the religion helping the people feel uh less guilty for going in and stealing land that's not theirs and killing people who are just defending their property um it's how it reads though and it's how the the orders the people were given to do as far as their approach to war and drafting people for the war in this chapter but that is the end of this chapter so that's where we'll end this reading as always thank you for joining me and i hope you'll join me again for the naked truth as we do these daily readings more often are these all readings more often and daily to put a dent in these Old Testament books that help, in my mind, solidify why it is we we as Christians should really um, focus our attention on the red letters, the things Jesus has to say. Since as always, I keep telling you, what Jesus has to say is not the entire Bible. What Jesus says is confined to six books in the Bible. So we focus on those still on our Saturday night readings. Thank you for joining me. I hope to see you again. God bless you, and I'll see you next time. Peace be with you.